0: Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. The Pontifical Academies Award is, um, it was started by John Paul II. Unfortunately, it's kind of dwindling now. But it was to recognize a um, scholar or institution under 35 years of age that had produced uh, either a work of research or a published work, a, published, yeah, a publication. And so when my dissertation was published, I had lots of copies, and I didn't know that many people with um, insomnia. And. <laughs> So, I happened to hear that there was this con that it, it, the other thing is is that the academy gives it to a different discipline every year, and so the year that I finished my dissertation or that the dissertation was published, it was actually um, giving, being given in theology to people who had focused into mystic studies. so I sent some extra copies, and lo and behold, so. but it, it was neat because it used to recognize um, the art. Uh, music, liturgy, all these different areas of study, and I just—it's a fantastic—it was a fantastic award, and unfortunately, like I said, it's been very much pared down. All right, so I want to talk about the significance of maternity, and I—I'd I'd really like to move more to the Q and A. I'm going to give you a couple of quick points, um, mostly coming from John Paul II's uh, document Moliaris Dignitatum, on the dignity and vocation of women. Uh, Because I think the questions are going to flesh this out a little bit more, and I I also want to keep you all engaged because I know it's been a long day. All right, so in Moliere's Dignitatum, he's looking at the two fundamental dimensions of woman's vocation virginity and marriage. And I, I point out that these are a challenge because our modern era is kind of conservative, it has very narrow meanings of things. We also don't value Either virginity or marriage, very much in our culture. Um, These things are unique to Christianity. You know, we look at the world and we say, "Oh, the world doesn't value these things." Well, remember that the world has always struggled with these things. It's Christianity that made these both motherhood or marriage and virginity, excuse me, marriage and virginity, something special and something unique. And you'll hear about the the Vestal Virgins in pagan cultures. Well, additional research has shown that they were basically eventually prostitutes, so so much for virginity. Um, motherhood, though, moves beyond the biological. And so within marriage, it's the conscious decision that flows from marriage. It is the work of marriage, right? <laughs> the idea being, you know, I think, again, this, we've become so um, disconnected, you know, particularly through contraception, that people literally are surprised when they get pregnant. And I, I, I get that with people who have been struggling with infertility, totally, you, those, those people are in the clear. Um, or people who ha- just haven't gotten pregnant for a long time, okay, but we're talking about everyday people who are engaged in marital intimacy, or intimacy of a marital nature, marital kind, and they're surprised when they get pregnant, right? And that is a sign to, m- to me that we have really separated the procre- procreation from the unitive aspect of sex. And it is the work of marriage. And John Paul II emphasizes this in a lot of different places. I want to share with you just a few things. In number 18, he says that this biblical knowledge, now you know in the Old Testament to describe intimacy, it would say he knew her. And I always thought that that was because the um, scripture writers were prudes and didn't want to say sex. And then I came to know that it was a much more profound since it points to a relational reality, which we can go into if somebody wants to pick that up in the Q&A. But this biblical knowledge is achieved in accordance with the truth of the person only when the mutual self-giving is not distorted, either by the desire of the man to become the master of his wife, he shall rule over you, or by the woman remaining closed within her own instincts, your desire shall be for your husband. And Dr. Savage touched a bit on this. What I want to emphasize again is that this is the work of each spouse. And in other essays, he talks about the fact that husband and wife, when they are engaged in marital intimacy, they are thinking, I could become a parent. Obviously, you know, fertility the way fertility works, that's not possible every time that a couple is intimate. But it should be in one's mind. This is what we should be thinking towards um, because of what's owed to the child. In a different place, and i Yet to track down the source on this, but John Paul II said that the child has the right to be conceived out of love, and similarly, Aquinas has a great section where he's talking about adultery and why is adultery wrong. So I was expecting a very dry academic answer, and um, he said, or actually, why is fornication wrong? And he says because the child that could be conceived would not have the security that it needs for its education and formation. So offspring and children. And this morning I spoke about this just the nature of love. It should be effusive. This should be a part of our relationships. And this is the work of each spouse. But we're going to f- I want to move to specifically the terms motherhood and fatherhood. So he writes in this same section, motherhood is linked to the personal structure to the wo- of the woman and to the t- personal dimension of the gift. On the woman's part, this fact is linked in a special way to a sincere gift of self the woman's readiness for the gift of self and her readiness to accept new life. And you can go, you know, there's a lot that can be said about this. Um, the, the woman is the first to have the relation with the child and introduces the child to reality and so forth. And but he says this is a point that people some conservatives wrestle with because he says fatherhood depends in many ways on the mother because she experiences a more immediate and interior relationship than the father. So it's really the mother is the one who brings the the father into this. He goes on to say that um, that this is foundational. The mother's contribution is decisive in laying the foundation for a new human personality. This is is where you learn what it means to be human. So my question is, and again we can take this up in the Q&A, if the mother is uniquely tied to the foundation of the new human person, of the interior of the family in general, is the husband's special purview the marriage? And the reason I ask that is because in, where, when a woman is secure in her marriage, she's happy and she's a better mother. And the security of the marriage, it, it seems to me that the woman is entrusted with the family. I just wonder if the man is entrusted with the marriage. Again, pure speculation. So moving on, and again, I apologize for the quickness here. This is the last slide, and I just want to make a couple points. He says, one cannot correctly understand virginity, a woman's constant. Cons- consecration in virginity without referring to spousal love. It is through this love that a person becomes a gift for the other. Moreover, a man's consecration in priestly celibacy or in the religious state is said to be understood analogously. So, I've given you some texts just so that we can work with for the conversation. What I want to talk about, taking the, with these texts in mind, and the theme of the conference is the impact of maternity on society. Now, we know that there's a ton of sociological data that shows that it's very important for moms and dads to be involved in, the, in their <coughs> children's lives. We know that children tend to do much better um, at home with mom or dad in some cases than they do in daycare, all right? And there's decades of mommy wars that I'm not even going to go into, all right? I want to just talk about this concept of maternity because, as you remember, this morning I was talking about saying, There's there's obviously the biological sense, there's the spiritual sense, but there is more of a a metaphysical or an ontological sense, the way in which women exist in relation to others and correspondingly for men, existing in in paternity, excuse me, that's not even right, living paternity towards others. And particularly the relationality part that John Paul II points out there to me, it really, it, it, it's the clincher, because I see so many aspects in which our culture is unable to be relational. And I do wonder, is that because we are missing the experience of maternity, not just in the home, but a lived maternity that women are called to live in every aspect of their lives, whether they're you know, changing diapers or designing rockets to go to the moon, but living, really, truly living maternity. And um, I'm also excited about being able to talk to you about this because you're my guinea pigs. I get to flesh this idea out. I want, I, I want the questions because this is fairly new, and it needs to be unpacked. Um, and there's another book that prompted me, actually prompted me with all of my research, and that was the book called The Flight from Woman by um, Carl Stern, not to be confused with Howard Stern. And he was a Jewish psychiatrist, um, trained in Freudian thought, and he became a... Catholic, he wrote several books, and this book, The Flight from Woman, he says, you know, what's wrong with the world? Everything that's wrong with the world is because we've left out the feminine. And the feminine for him um, is he takes it, he approaches it from an epistemological level, all right, the way in which we come to know. And he says, since the time of Descartes, all of our reasoning is, you know, right Descartes, I think therefore I am, right? All of our reasoning has been contained within the head, which is very masculine. And he says, rather than also engaging the intellect. And the intellect has what I call an active receptivity, because the words passivity don't work in our culture, and even receptivity doesn't quite work. So I like the term active receptivity because it's a choice and a decision to be receptive, to be receptive to truth, to reality. And he points out that all these words, you know, the word matter actually is derivative of the word mater, meaning mother. Right? And so it's just um, this is. I, I apologize. I can tell from your faces, it might be. I might be getting too abstract, philosophical. So that's why I'm going to open it up to questions. I think this is just exciting because I do think that on all these different levels, we're missing. Um, maternity and and, and our culture is suffering from it and I don't want to have a mommy wars discussion I don't want to talk about which is the best way to educate your children or to be a stay-at-home mom and how many kids you are gonna have and whether or not you're gonna breastfeed them that's not what I'm talking about I'm talking about a whole another level a level that would apply to every woman whether she is married consecrated single etc and correspondingly for men to live out paternity so I'll open it to questions yes i guess two parts did you discover that we have like as this woman this calls you maternity before or after you were married personally and also if it was before you were married like what did that how did it man I would say definitely before, because that was when I was doing my research. And it was funny because when Dr. Savage was talking about the the gender theorists, I had a friend uh, when I was living in Rome, and uh, we both started graduate studies, and then she got married. And I used to watch her kids. We, We would time our spiritual direction appointments because we had the same spiritual direction director. So I would watch her kids while she went to spiritual direction. And so I'm immersed in these gender theorists that are telling me that, you know, these differences are all you know, a, a, a culture, or nature, excuse me, nurture, not nature. And then I'm spending, you know, even 15 minutes with, with a, you know, a two-year-old and a three-year-old, and one's a boy and one's a girl. And I mean, the difference is, you know, whatever, blow it out of the water. So I felt very early on, and I think, too, um, even as a young child, I kind of felt that maternal sense. But that's also, I mean, there's lots of things that can factor into that, all right? I'm the oldest and, um, of four, and I have three brothers. But in most of the pictures of us when we're little, it's, I'm the mother hen. I'm kind of ca- gathering everybody in, you know? And so, yeah, I would say definitely I, I sense the maternal. And also because I was in such masculine environments at times, not just being raised with my brothers, but I was the only girl on the debate team and so forth. I, That was in high school. I realized that my presence was different, and that it could be that it could impact differently. I was only understanding it. I was probably understanding it more as a feminine presence than the maternal. I think the maternal has probably been an articulation through the study, but there's always been something in me that's kind of recognized that. And you know, women we walk into we walk into situations and we do change. We should change the environment. I mean, it should make the it should be important that we're there. Just like it should be important if a man walks into a group of women, that should be a diff- there should be something different. Does that help? Sorry. Sometimes I get way all over the place in my questions, so you just gotta keep pushing. Yes? Uh, for maternity and paternity, would you say that in a marriage, is maternity and paternity lived out also towards each other for spouses? Oh, that's a great question. Okay, so St. Jose Maria says that the wife's smallest child is her husband, and a lot of people don't like that, Um, but I think that there's a certain type of, the way that I understand him to be speaking, I I usually try to take people, um, assume the best in what they're saying. So I'm not, I, I don't think he's saying that women need another child and their husband. I think he's saying that the same sensitivity and concern with which women see their children, they should demonstrate that towards their husband. And there is a certain level, I think, where paternity could be ex- exemplified or lived towards the wife. And it's the same as, you know, Dr. Waldstein bringing up the, the, the Song of Songs, you know, my sister, my bride, all right? Um, it, it's not to pervert the natural relationships, but to take what's what, to, to take what's there's still some the familiar the familial in there and, and to use that and apply it so I think there could be an application yeah I'm not suggesting mummy 2.0 or people with daddy issues those type of problems all right dealing with healthy healthy examples yes uh, so how would you distinguish the like femininity from um, I, I think that femininity. I think maternity is inherent in femininity. Femininity is that's what makes um, femaleness is probably where I would go with that because femininity again that gets you know it, it's such a fluid word. Um, it can mean wow she she bakes cookies and she's really feminine and wears flowered dresses and or it could mean Joan of Arc she's leading an army into battle right. Um, so I would use the word probably femaleness and that it's because the female part is is based on our sexually differentiated bodies. And it's not just what, the, what we look like on the outside, as um, Dr. Savage was pointing to. It's, it's, it's also our DNA. It's the molecules that make us up. That, that's what makes us male or female. So we have this sexually differentiated body with which disposes us to maternity or paternity, one or the other. But it's based on the sexually differentiated body. Other questions? Challenges, disagreements. We can get a fight going. <laughs> a healthy one. Yeah? Um, do you think that women's maternity can overshadow man's uh, masculine genius? So Dr. Deborah Savage, one of her separate talks, she was talking about how women are so protective and um, her husband wants to do, I don't know, cut down a tree. She's like, no, you're going to get hurt. So rather than trusting man to trust him and to protect him and not let him express his mask? Oh sure, absolutely. I mean, and women—we're so good at—I at, mean, we're so good at perceiving need, whether real or otherwise. And we're also really good at, at at multitasking and seeing the person and putting all these things together. So, because we can be good at something, it also means that we can go to the excess, and 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 we can sort of. Controverted. I don't want to say perverted, but controverted. Use it for purposes other than it's intended. So I think, yeah, there can be kind of a, a smothering. And we've done that in the culture. I mean, tell me the last time you saw anything on television that showed a man that showed him, like, a, a father as somebody that was competent and not an idiot. I mean, really, seriously, like, when was the last time? I can't remember the last movie, which was a positive version, vision, a positive um, portrayal of a husband and father, I mean, Cinderella Man, and that was a long time ago. A really long time ago. Someone wants to bring something up more recent, but the point is it's, it, it, it's not common, and I think part of that is because of our culture, we have really squashed what's masculine, and, and we've done that primarily in our relationships. What do you think the line would be like Oh, I mean, the lines, are, that's always based on prudence. You know, each situation and it's a weighing, um, but but you always have to allow for for personal freedom and also sometimes I mean, you know, the wife thinks that her husband's going to get hurt cutting cutting down the tree. I mean, she may be right, but she might not be right, and unless she clearly sees that, you know, he's it this it's and it has to be more than I'm afraid you might get hurt. All right, but I can clearly see that you're, this is going to come crashing down on top of you. Right, that's a prudential judgment and. Most of the time, we're going, we're we're being motivated by inklings or something like that, you know, um, a sense of intuition or fear, and so it's really there has to be the freedom. I mean, even in marriage, for people to be individuals. And one of the things I like to point to is that in marriage, it's it's two individuals who form this union, but it's not two halves of a whole, you know, Uh, and and just because one of them's holy doesn't mean that the other one's holy, right? (laughs) Uh, And and they also have to be unique persons with unique, you know, sometimes one's not going to want to do what the other one wants to do. And you either decide to compromise or you say, hey, you know what, you do what you want to do for the day and I'm going to do what I want to do for the day, you know, whatever. I mean, there's different ways around that. But it's really to recognize the, getting back to your question is, I think you have to be guided by prudence and also freedom. I mean, you know what, maybe maybe he's not going to do the greatest job of cutting down the tree. There are worse things in the world. That is a first world problem. You know, I mean, sometimes you learn through mistakes. And, you know, sometimes the husband's gonna to turn to the wife and say, you know, honey, I think if you did that a little bit differently, it would be better, and she's insisting. No, absolutely not. And, you know, <laughs> she does it, she fails. Most of the time, we learn a lot by failing. <laughs> but they're prudential decisions. So. Other questions? Yes? Um, I um, about... I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time hearing you with the fan. The loss of maternity can be attributed to you know the increase in the technology and like not understanding how to we're to each other and all about this capacity society and trying to like do the next thing and not actually speaking and trying to touch your reasonable and trying to explain. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Does it so do, do, this loss of the sense of maternity is that due, in a sense, to the influence of the technological and the loss of the relational? Absolutely. I think too that we've come to understand. Um, the maternal and the paternal in functional ways because we are such a technological society, right? If, if I want something done, I know the tool that I need to go and get to get to get it done, right? And and so and we're so focused, whether we're talking about extreme capitalism or Marxism, on what people do and what they produce, that we we lose sight of the relational, and um, th- that's where I gave the example this morning of the woman at the conference who stood up and said, every one of you can make a better peanut butter and jelly sandwich than I can. But I'm the only one that has a relationship with and named off each of her children. But I think we're so focused on doing, and particularly with children, now it's just, you know, you have to be certain that they're in all the right activities. And, you know, are you are you making them their organic snacks? I mean, you better be making them their organic snacks. Really, you buy organic snacks? You don't buy organic snacks? I mean, it's just, it's all this, it's this litany of things that people do rather than who they are and we don't sometimes i think we don't have the space or the time to simply be i mean so many families don't even have the time just to be to be together and where you experience those relational things i mean now you go on trips and uh, i mean i know lots of well-intentioned people but they go on a trip and every child is plugged into a device right and I'm sorry, but those squabbles and everything, it's all part of becoming relational, right? And your parents saying, look, no ice cream, if I have to stop the car, you know, there's no ice cream, whatever. That's all part of learning how to be human. And instead, we're isolating people with devices and creating the I world. And I admit, I own a lot of these I devices, but we're creating what I call an I world, which makes it very easy to not relate with people. So on the technology sector, I'd say there's two things. One, that we look at everything in terms of function and production or production and the second, that it enables us to not be in relation with people. And one of the funniest things I see is if I go into a Starbucks or something and you see people all on their electronic devices, right? Half the time on dating sites, Facebook, social media and I just want to say, you know, my husband and I both have the same reaction, we just want to go in and say okay here, put your device down this is, you know, Sally, and oh, you're Joe, and why don't you guys talk to each other? But instead, everybody's on a device, and that device is mediating, um, and, and actually, I think in many cases, creating distance, and, and, and everybody's on their devices for the social part, right? And yet, they're missing that opportunity to be social right here. So, I also have a thing about dating websites, even if they're Catholic, but I'll save that for later. <laughs> Yes? Um, could you speak a little bit about um, like what are your thoughts about um, the loss of maternity compared to um, the crisis of fatherlessness that um, our world is facing currently? Um, and just kind of what are your thoughts? I, you know, again, great question. I think that both, both of them correspond to a sense of functionality, right? And so we'd see the, the roles of mother and father in terms of function rather than in terms of being or in terms of relation. And um, with the, you know, if all we're worried about when it comes to raising kids is, you know, making sure that somebody feeds them, puts them to bed, and they get through their activities, anybody can do that. That doesn't require a mother or a father. The the mother and the father, that's a very unique role, and it's based on again who they are, not just what they do, and. It's no surprise to me that as we lose the sense of maternity that we're experiencing fatherlessness. Because in, in maternity, let's face it, it's also... The, maybe this isn't PC to say, but this is where I got back to my question here. Um, maternity is easier for women when they feel secure in their marriages. And it is fathers, presumably their husbands, who help them to feel secure in their marriages. And when now we're seeing kind of the the widespread um, decline. I mean, in the birth single mom birth rate to single moms now is over 40%. Amongst African Americans, it's close to 80%. And then you want to talk about learning how to be human? I mean, I'm sorry, but our lessons are really, really impeded. I come from a divorced family. like So I'm not saying that I come from some perfect family. I come from a divorced family. When you don't have your parents, living together, loving each other despite whatever obstacles in the same house. That impedes the way in which you learn to relate. And God willing, you find great places like, uh, like Franciscan and all these other universities or apostolates where you find healing, okay? And, you're, and, and everybody needs healing, including people that come from—there's no perfect two-parent family. None. They're all dysfunctional. It's just whether or not they're honest about it. So, <laughs> But I, I, I really do think that there's definitely a correlation, in this because we don't, we don't value maternity, and, and if we don't value maternity, then we're not going to make sure that there are the safeguards to promote maternity. And maternity is really, really hard when there isn't a husband and a father. And the case of the Holy Family, I mean, is, is case, Holy Family is case in point. You have the most perfect woman in creation, right, <laughs> giving birth to the Son of God, and even they needed a husband and a father, they needed a family. And that was the only way that Mary could live her maternity, her biological maternity, was with Joseph. Joseph was absolutely essential for that. Yes? Can you explain a little bit about her desire with shopping for her husband? Yeah, so this is, I'm going to back up here, because I've struggled with this, and um, here, so the, is it, this is this the section you're thinking of? Okay, so I've struggled with this that her desire shall be for her husband, um, and and then John Paul II adds this part: the the woman remaining closed within her own instincts, and um, the only place that I've seen an answer to this is in Carl Anderson's book on theology of the body. I forget the talk the title of it, but you can actually this section is available on Google. And if you email me, I'll send you the link. He talks about the fact that um, it, it's more of an emotional closing. Like we get trapped by our, our emotional instincts. So, for example, the, you gave the example of the the woman that is you know you can't cut down the tree because this might happen, right? It's that type of, of being trapped within yourself. And so, and, and and I think Dr. Savage did a great job too of pointing out that. He, just even he shall, that your desire shall be for your husband, um, there's also the level of even if your husband treats you as an object. And, I, and, and maybe that's because within women, there's still an understanding of the original plan, right? And, and still kind of a view to that, even though they might <laughs> see that, that, that they're not even being treated well. Does that help, or did you want to follow up? Okay. Sorry. Yes. Can you give another, another concrete example of that? You you know women can get trapped by their emotional instincts. Can you just give another example of how that happens sometimes? Um, I mean, gosh. Okay. I'm sure there's plenty. Now I just need one to come to mind because when I walk out of here, I'm going to have 15. Um, I would. Th- Maybe somebody else wants to give an example. I mean, I would think too, no, seriously, you know, I think we, because we feel things very, very deeply, you know, we become convinced that that's absolutely true. And sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. And, you know, especially when it comes to vocation, right? We can be as bad as the guys that are running around looking for um, an order or a bishop. They're convinced they have a vocation to the priesthood, right? It's like, Well, I mean, until a bishop or an ordinary says yes, you don't have a vocation to priesthood. And similarly, women can be so hell bent that they have a vocation to marriage because they feel it, they believe it, they've prayed on it, right? And they they can, they can be in situations where they're convinced this man. I mean, he's this, and, and they have. We women can have this tendency to just kind of put a man in the, in in this little cutout role. Because we passionately believe, passionately believe that we're called to marriage, and what happens is, I think, is that the, the we are again trapped within ourselves. We're not experiencing that man for who he really is. We have our own idea, and we have a role for him. And this is, you know, the classic scenario is, you know, the, those of us who planned our weddings, you know, when from starting when we were five, and you know, we graduated from college, and picked our dresses and thought, picked what our bridesmaids were gonna wear and picked our china patterns. All we needed was this man to show up, right? That's it. Well, we become, I think that's an, an example of becoming so closed up within oneself that you actually preclude the possibility for, re, for relation and actually the, the possibility for encounter. And, and at that point, I mean, we look kinda of crazy and so the prospects of getting married are even slimmer. To be blonde, sorry. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes. Um, so, being in a culture that's so against maternity, uh, so unsupportive of it, um, I guess what are your thoughts or your on like how we live out maternity, regardless of what um, state of mind we're in or we have, um, to to start to turn the tide, or to, you know, to start to change parts and minds about. Okay, so I'm going to kind of think out loud. That's what most of this has been, in case you haven't noticed, because I'm still working through all this in my own head. Um, I think maybe one way to articulate it is paternity and maternity are the sexually differentiated ways in which men and women care for others, right? And so it's a way of caring for others in all of our encounters. And using making but making our femininity or masculinity an essential part of that that we're not hiding it, and if for too long, i mean you read you know you read about it in the in the eighties and so forth, and well, even before that, I mean the idea for a woman to be able to work, she needed to act like a man, she needed to dress like a man right <coughs> and and it was everything to shun her femininity, and what I like now is that we're seeing. Really, I think a beautiful development in which we're seeing women being able to be in the professional world and look like women and act like women, you know. And, um, but it, but really, I I think it's it's a type of caring how you care for others, um, without hiding who you are as a woman or as a man. One more question, or are we done? Yes, one more. Presentable have to do with our beauty? Like, are you talking about beauty in terms of being presentable? Beauty and like just being clean and like putting ourselves together and like. Okay, I have a whole talk on that, but anyway, <laughs> I think it's I, I think it's an essential part of it. And again, it's it's we're drawn by beauty, and and I think it's good if we're living. Um, it, it, it's not we want. You know, we, we keep saying, well, what matters is on the inside. But guess what? We do look at, at, at packaging. We all look at packaging. I mean, how many people in here have bought a bottle of wine because they looked at the label? All right. Um you know, why did they add tail fins to cars? Because it made them look fast. Right? So marketing and packaging is a it's it's part of our reality. So I think. Um, personal care and and uh, accentuating beauty is a really good thing it draws people hopefully it's drawing people into uh, an interior that corresponds to the exterior but it's also a way um, it's people are drawn to beautiful things and beautiful people and if you can use that beauty to point people elsewhere I I think that's a wonderful thing. I give an example. There's a painting of um, Dante, right? So he wrote uh, the the Dante's Inferno. So the purgatory and and excuse me, Divine Comedy. Thank you. I'm so tired. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Anyway, Divine Comedy. Um, Anyway, so there's. We know that he fell in love with Beatrice at a very. She was very young, kind of nervous. Anyway, we're not going to go into that. But. And he describes her in one of his poems, in the Vita Nova, and he says that, he describes her as, he says, she was looking up and I at her. So her gaze was towards heaven, towards God, and he was looking at her, so that caused him to look up, but it was by virtue of her beauty. So there's a painter, I think it's an Englishman, and he does this great painting, um, which if my desktop horn so messy I would show it to you right now but anyway um, if you want to come up and see it later fine. It's this great painting of Dante standing on the Ponte Vecchio in Florence so it's the one of the only bridges that wasn't blown up during World War II and um, he's standing on it not during World War II uh, in his own time and there are three women walking by right and so they personify um, paradise purgatory and hell and each one of them is attractive and so um, the woman that personifies hell, she's very, very buxom, and she's dressed in red, you know, and she's gorgeous, and she's looking at Dante. And in Purgatory, she's dressed in blue, and, you know, she's not as provocative as hell, but she's, you know, and she's looking at Dante. And then there's Beatrice, who's dressed in yellow, and this is his, the, the part from the poem, the Nova Vita. She's looking up. And so while the two, while purgatory and hell are looking at Dante, Dante is looking at paradise. And so beauty, I think beauty can be used for, for good or for ill, but I'm a big fan of personal care and, and being able to use beauty to point people towards, towards the divine, ultimately. And we're drawn to beauty. That's normal. That's part of who we are. It's a wonderful part of who we are. And so call it self-grooming, self maintenance, personal care. I think it's awesome. And the one rule that I use is, I found when I was teaching high school, one of the kids asked me if it was a sin to use makeup. I kind of wrestled with it. Well, in the classroom, we found like this really old catechism, maybe from the 1930s or something. And it was fantastic. The rule was, again, it's all about prudence, right? It's all about the mean. Virtue is the mean. So the rule was, As long as God can look down and recognize his creation, it's okay. Faith and Reason podcasts. New media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.